Welcome to the initial episode of Days of Roar. My name is Mark Gorash. I'm a public baseball analyst, longtime Tiger fan. I'm here with my partner, Free Press beat writer Evan Petzl. We're going to try to bring you all things Tigers, 52 weeks a year. Uh, Evan's going to be down in the locker room, talking to AJ, talking to players, getting the heartbeat of what's happening with your Detroit Tigers. Evan, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, Mark. I'm so happy to finally be doing this, man. I mean, you, you've been bothering me a little bit about doing a podcast, and then I eventually came around and said, all right, let's just do one together. Um, so I'm happy that we're finally able to get this thing going. Days of Roar, I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be great for fans to, uh, to tune into and to really get a feel for what's going on with the Tigers, both from your perspective and then from my perspective covering the team. Well, let's tell them a, a little bit about what they can expect from the two of us. I've been doing this for a really long time. Obviously, I have somewhat of a Twitter following. Pretty much like to think I give an unvarnished baseball opinion about what's going on. I'm a, uh, in recovery over Al Avila's firing. When I say in recovery, it means uh, I've been celebrating for about six months now. But I'm really looking forward to sharing you know, what we think is really happening uh, with your Detroit Tigers. You can expect a lot of data, a lot of analytics, some technical things about what may be going on on the baseball field, and for sure a lot of opinions. What do you, what do you think people should understand about the Petzl perspective on baseball? I think it's good to bring a blend. I, I really do like digging into the analytics and trying to learn as much about the numbers as I can, but also – um, you know, I don't discredit the eye test either. I think it's important to watch what you see and see what's right in front of you and, and honestly try to combine those two things um, to really formulate opinions on certain topics and on certain players. So I hope that we're going to be able to dive into that to really give, you know, both our, you know, more analytic minded listeners and also our traditional, you know, minded listeners, if you will, um, a really good blend, a good blend of both and maybe help connect the dots for them too, in some ways. So I think, you know, if we're able to do it, do that, it's it's mission accomplished for me. Mostly, I think we want to have fun. We'll have some segments. We'll probably start asking for questions and do some mailbags. Evan will go do some short interviews. Maybe we'll have some guests a few times. We'll also add some minor league coverage. So that being said, we're uh, about nine games into spring training. Evan's been down there for two plus weeks. He's a little stir crazy probably from being down there, but tell us uh, some things that you've seen down there. Tell us about the new regime. You've had a, an opportunity to probably talk to Scott Harris a little bit and AJ, how they're blending a lot of new things that they've brought with biomechanics and coaching. So give, give us a little short analysis of what you've seen in your first few weeks down there. First and foremost, I've seen a lot of sunshine. I think I've missed maybe two ice storms since I've been gone. So um, definitely enjoying the weather and definitely trying to get my tan on. Don't worry um, for everybody up in Michigan. Summer is coming soon. We're almost there. It's right around the corner. Uh, but yeah, just from a baseball standpoint, it's been really good to get a chance to talk to Scott a little bit and um, you know really get a feel for kind of what he's all about. He's pretty guarded in terms of what he says and um, what he wants to reveal. But I do think it was important that he came out pretty early in camp and mentioned, look, our goal is to play um, competitive baseball as long as we can. We want to compete. Um, you know, obviously for a spot in the postseason uh, for as long as possible. Who knows how long that might be? Um, it was it was over pretty quick last season. 
Um, but this time around, it, it just seems like the goal is to be a competitive baseball team, um, really from the beginning to the end. And look, if it, if it doesn't end up going all the way all the way to the end, I don't think anybody's expecting it will. Um, but just that's the kind of mindset that, that they want to have. There's no big declarations of we're going to do this or we're going to do that or we're going to be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline yet. Like n- none of that stuff. It's it's pump the brakes. Let's just see what we got. Let's try to compete and compete for as long as we can. I think it was important to to set that precedent and to set that tone. As far as you know, spring training games, um, we've obviously gotten to see a lot of Spencer Torkelson, a lot of Parker and Austin Meadows. Um, so the Meadows bros have been, have been pretty interesting so far in camp. Spencer Turnbull's back. Riley Green looks pretty good. Um, the two newcomers from the Phillies, Matt Beerling and Nick Maton, they've been fun to watch and also interesting to interact with too and to learn a little bit more about their personalities. All in all, it's just it's a lot of good vibes so far. That's kind of how spring training is. Um, but definitely a ton of talking points and a whole lot of storylines. Well, who do you think's look pretty good? I, I mean, Matt Vierling, actually, I was checking the, checking the stats for the first nine games, and Matt, Matt Vierling leading the team with six hits, and he's slashing 462, 462, 923. I'm, I'm a little worried that Matt doesn't uh, love walking, and I'm sure they'll start getting in his ear a little bit about it, but I'm not going to be too concerned about that in spring training. Got to love how Parker Meadows has looked. Uh, definitely put himself on the map. Uh, he has five hits, 17 trips. He hasn't walked yet. He's whiffed seven times, so there's some underlying concern about a few things we'll need to pay attention to long-term there, but so far pretty good. I'm, I'm going to tell you to pump the brakes on all the spring training stats. A.J. Hinch might come after you on that one, but, but no, I mean, it, it's important to look into what these guys are doing, no doubt. Um, I think I think that's definitely something that everybody should be doing, but also taking those things in context too, right? Understanding, hey, these are spring training at-bats. Mark, we've had this conversation off-air several times talking about kind of what these at-bats are and what they mean. We got guys that are, you know, kind of throwing only fastballs or guys that are working on certain pitches and it's quite obvious. Or again, it's, it's you know, guys from minor league camps that are pitching in mop-up duty. But I do think, like, you're, you're right. Like, Matt Vierling looks comfortable. Parker Meadows... Um, surprisingly to me, looks really comfortable, even not having played above double A. There are certain guys, Nick Maton looks really comfortable. That's another guy that, that's going to be big for the Tigers this year. Riley Green did not look comfortable early on. He's starting to come around a little bit more. So I think throwing the spring training stats out the window, I, I think we got to do that. But at the same time, it is important to you know use the eye test in that way, right? To see who looks comfortable in the box. I think right now it's a hundred percent eye test. I think the most meaningless thing on earth are spring training stats, and I barely pay attention to much unless it's really ugly until the last week. If, if you understand baseball, there's really very little, if any, sequencing. Guys are just trying to throw strikes. They're not throwing full velocity. You have a bunch of minor league guys. <laughs> you're not facing the caliber of competition you're going to face when you're playing Major League Baseball, but you are trying to see how guys, especially young guys, are responding to the pressure, what their approach is at the plate, can they barrel a few things up and hit the ball hard? You know, those things are important. So that means that, what, you're not you're not worried about Spencer Torkelson yet at, at this point? Well, you that I, that's, that's a big storyline this year and I this th- spring. I, I think that's a huge storyline, and let's talk about that for a minute. You and I have talked about this quite a bit, and there are times – we're both pretty analytical about the minutiae of playing baseball, batting stances, mechanics, et cetera. And what I'll say from my end is 
I was hoping that Spencer Torkelson made a few tweaks to his swing to be a little more athletic. And he's done a couple things without getting too technical. He's got a s- slight more hand movement in his load. He's got a little bit of something that is between a toe tap and a leg kick. Pretty, pretty small, but on all, he's trying to generate, you know, some rhythm in his swing. And he's hit the ball hard multiple times with fielders getting in the way. So when he has hit the ball hard, it's been out. Uh, I think he struggled a little bit on pitches away, but I'm actually encouraged about the type of swings he's taking. And I think people getting too excited about the fact that he's one for 10 or 11 in the first week of games is probably not something they should be worrying about too much. Let's see what happens the next two weeks. He's going to, he needs to get a lot more at bats. What do you think about that? Yeah, a hundred percent agree. I think it, it's, it's way too soon to pass judgment on Spencer Torkelson in year two. I do think it was interesting though, with the new bat specs that he has, he went out and talked to some guys around the league, Mike Trout being one of them asking, Hey, what size bat do you use? Um, what, what does that look like? How does that feel when you swing it? So obviously he's going with a little bit of a smaller bat and a, and a little bit of a lighter bat, only a half inch smaller and a half ounce lighter than last year. But it is kind of interesting just because a lighter bat is going to offer him a little bit more control, maybe better acceleration. Maybe it hurts some top end raw power, but at the same time, if, if he's able to have you know bat control and he's able to hit those pitches over the middle of the plate that he was missing so often last year, we're looking at a much different Spencer Torkelson. So that's something that jumped out to me. It'll be interesting to check back in with him maybe more towards the end of camp to see, hey, did you notice a difference um, and, and how much of a difference maybe? But again, he's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting him right at people. Definitely need to give him a little bit more time before anybody really worries. And the Tigers are obviously feeling the exact same way about that because there really isn't like a true backup plan um, for a first baseman. There, there really isn't like a like a immediate plan B. It almost seems like maybe the, the best option would be moving Jonathan Scope to, to first base if needed. And I, I don't even know if that really makes sense. But that would be probably plan B right now. And I think that tells you that the Tigers have a lot of faith in Torkelson. I've actually hoped that they would ask if he was able to, and it, you know, this is a whole different discussion, but this is what spring training is for. I was kind of hoping maybe they'd give Kerry Carpenter some time at, you know, with the first baseman's glove to see what he can do there. Cause it might not be a terrible idea about how to get his bat in the lineup. When you talk about flexibility, that might be something to at least, ask about or, or a way to get him some at bats if Spencer's going to continue to struggle. I'm not too I'm not too worried about Torkelson like we discussed now. I have teased you a few times asking you when the backfield minor league games start because if it was up to me in the morning I'd have Spencer Torkelson playing in one of the backfield minor league games. I'd have him lead off every inning, get eight or nine at bats in that game. Then I'd bring him over to the big field. I'd hit him lead off at the spring game and make sure he got three at bats before I took him out. Spencer Torkelson would have about, you know, 135 at bats before they broke camp. And that would be my way of trying to get him into some type of groove and give him an opportunity to try to, you know, get some hitting rhythm going. So I, I, I would be shocked if they don't do a few things like that, though. And I'm sure they're figuring out a plan B. As for Jonathan Scope, it should be one of the more interesting decisions that they're going to have over the course of this camp because Jonathan Scope needs to hit. 
they they have alternatives to him and the question is how much patience will they have with Jonathan Scope? And that's gonna be another eye test thing. If they don't think he's gonna hit, they could cut him before, you know, they break camp. They could give him 125 at bats, but they're not gonna give him a long time. What do you think about that? Yeah, Jonathan Scope is gonna be an interesting one to watch as the season unfolds. I don't think he's cut before camp opens. I think his role if anything, would be significantly diminished by the time opening day starts. That would probably be um, the first thing on that on that you know box. If there's a list that you're checking off, it would probably be you know taking on a lesser role as a as a utility player, as somebody who's going to be in a, a platoon situation. But you remember, this is Jonathan Scope. This is a guy who, I mean, he's had. I mean, look, in the past six seasons, he's had five of them with at least 20 homers and four of them hitting at least 250. So this is a guy who knows how to play. He's been there. He's done that. He's um, traditionally stayed healthy. He came into spring looking literally in the best shape of his life. It, it almost seemed like maybe not as good as when he was just breaking into the big leagues. But at the same time, it, he, he looks better than he has in a long time, slimmed down quite a bit. He's going to go play in the WBC for the Netherlands. So that should be interesting and probably good for him to get to face some some pretty advanced pitching in the WBC. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the question is, is the, the leash, how long is the leash? And I don't think the leash is opening day. And, and we'll, we'll see how that develops and how that kind of unfolds as we go. But he's got to hit. You're right, point blank. Um, there isn't a shift this year, so that's going to be a little bit interesting to see how that impacts his defensive metrics. I think he's still above average defender at second base. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to turn the double play. But it's all about the bat. It's all about the bat. What I, what I think you have to figure into this, too, is – Look, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you the Tigers watch their pennies, but, you know, they also have Cesar Hernandez. And, you know, I am just curious how their thinking will be about, you know, managing that. Do they want to keep Hernandez? Do they want to make Hernandez the second baseman? If they were mad, it's, they're going to eat. I, I, I don't see them eating $7.5 million before they break camp, but if they did, I, it would weirdly be a good sign, not a bad sign, that they were pretty serious about trying to be competitive and they were willing to eat the money. So that, that'll be something we need to take a minute to keep our eye on. You know, The other thing I wanted to ask you is both our catchers seem to be off to very good starts. Jake Rogers, two home runs already. Eric Haas has absolutely eviscerated a few, ba- a few baseballs early. Seems to be initially a strength. Yeah, definitely positive signs out of the catcher position. The big thing is, is I think you knew what you were getting in Eric Haas. We'll, like, we'll need to see if he improves his receiving and his pitch framing. That'll be big for him to take that next step and solidify himself as an everyday catcher, um, You know, quite literally, as opposed to somebody who plays a lot against lefties, also gets some time in the outfield. If he can really improve his receiving, um, the sky is the limit because we know the power is real. The bat is real. He's already proven himself as a hitter, especially against lefties. He's shown some improvement against righties. So that's something to watch and and continue to kind of monitor is how does he develop against right-handed hitters? Is he able to sustain what he improved upon last year? That'll be a big sign. But but more importantly than any of that is Jake Rogers. I mean, what a story this is. It's coming back from Tommy John. And we all know what Jake went through in terms of in 2019, came up and, and had his struggles and didn't get back up in 2020. And then um, you know, gets his opportunity in 2021. The Tigers are playing their best baseball when he's on the team with with Eric Haas, by the way. And those two are rolling together, and the Tigers are playing great baseball. And then suddenly, 
you know, Jake has Tommy John and, and he's out for all of 2022. Now he's back and he looks really good. I think the big thing is that he's impressed me because I haven't really noticed him defensively. There has nothing wrong. Like he's not doing anything wrong. Um, clearly defense is his number one thing. Um, and that's kind of his, his priority. He worked on that during the Tommy John. Um, he wasn't able to throw, but he worked on a lot of his receiving and a lot of his blocking. And I thought that was good to hear about. Also kind of worked on the swing and made a couple of really small tweaks, things that um, he didn't even really want to get into because they were so small, but he was able to, to hit a ton even when he was coming back from the TJ. So he's impressed me. That's a really positive sign. I think you got your number one and your number two right there, and they've showed out early in camp. It's, you know, plus Jake Rogers is, if the Tigers, have, if, if yeah. Tigers have a glue player, he's it. I mean, very well liked and, you know, just brings something to the chemistry of the team that they seem to be missing last year. And he was definitely a force in that regard in 2021 when they, if people want to remember, they were 68 and 61 in their last 129 games. It's, it's hard. It's a long time ago, but 68 and 61 looks pretty good right now. And Jakey was a part of that for, you know, the eight or 10 weeks that he was a prominent force on the field and in the locker room so it's nice nice to have him back let's let's try to walk around the rest of the lineup a little bit and touch on a few things and at second base it, it, the intention is for Jonathan Scope to play there but you have Cesar Hernandez you got a few other things what, what what do you think about second base I think in a perfect world Jonathan Scope is your everyday second baseman for now I think you hope that he's able to hit for enough power that he's tradable at the deadline and then you can kind of wipe your hands clean of that. Uh, they want him to walk more. I don't really know if that's realistic. I don't think somebody that's um, at his point in his career, although he is calling this kind of like the second act of his career, kind of the, the, the second part, almost making it seem like this is going to be a new version of Jonathan Scope. I don't really know if that's true. I don't think just because you say that means it translates. Yes, the walks you know, do need to improve, but how much will they improve? I don't think very much. So that's something to definitely monitor and, and, and see is he going to be able to, to improve that. So I think, yeah, in a perfect world, Jonathan Scope is your second baseman. But if not, I, I think Cesar Hernandez is a great option for second base, somebody who hit a ton of home runs in 2021, only hit one last year uh, with the Washington Nationals. And he talked a lot about you know not working out the way that he did in previous years leading up to the 2022 season. So he went back to, to his home country in Venezuela and he ended up you know, realizing that his passport was expired and there, there was just a whole situation that, that he kind of you know told me about and, and walked me through. And he ended up getting stuck there during the lockout. It was a weird situation. He didn't work out the same way that, you know, he normally would. There was just a lot going on there, it seemed like. And he wasn't able to really recapture, you know, his strength and, and the things that he was able to do that led to such a great 2021 season. Now this year, he's kind of back to that old training regimen. So we're going to have to see if he's going to be able to tap him back into that power. And if he does and he's able to hit, let's say he's able to be a 15-homer type guy um, and also hit for some average, he draws some walks, he does some things that you like, that, that looks pretty good to me at second base. Definitely as a utility player to start and, and then kind of see where it goes from there. But yeah, with Hernandez, it's a great insurance option for Scope. I also think he probably makes a team coming off the bench um, early on in the season. And he can play himself into a bigger role. There, there's no doubt about that. I, I think you're 100% right about that. I think he's an excellent alternative to Scope if Scope struggles. 
and they won't be left with the type of backup at second base they had last year, which, although Scope played a lot, he, I think it was a 57 WRC plus his second worst in baseball, means he was 43% worse than an average player offensively. And, you know, the Tigers offense of 2022, I don't think we need to get into a long discussion about it. It just was the worst in baseball, and they're not going to tolerate uh, offensive production from players like Jonathan Scope in 2023 like they did in 2022. Shortstop, how's Javi look? I saw you, had, you ripped two smoking doubles yesterday. Seems uh, if people are waiting for Javi Baez to stop swinging at sliders out of the zone, you're going to be waiting for the rest of eternity. What you do want to see is Javi Baez hitting the ball out of the ballpark and being steady defensively. If he does those two things, I think you there's a lot of upside. How's he look so far? Yeah, that's definitely something that you're going to want to see is Javi hitting the ball out of the park. Everybody wants to see it. That's why the Tigers signed this guy. That's why he's here. That's what he's supposed to do. And you're right. He's never going to stop swinging at those sliders down and away. Just going to have to live with them. They've always been there and they always will be. I think people forget that he was a little bit better than uh, most give him credit for last season, especially down the stretch. And I know if you ask him about it, he'll tell you that he, he, he wasn't as good as he wanted to be. And that, that's totally understandable. But he was better than people give him credit for from June 16th to the end of the season. It was a 2.3 F war. That was 13th among MLB shortstops. Uh, that's not really that bad at all, uh, to be completely honest. That's, that, that's pretty solid. And obviously, obviously you want to see more, right? But it's not that bad. It's almost the four war pace. On a, coming right. po- on a coming podcast, we're going to discuss war and how you build a team using war. And I think it's an interesting topic. We're not going to go over it today. But yeah, Javi was almost, you know, he's a 3.8 to 4 war player after the second week of June. And I think people miss out on that. He absolutely scorched in the month of September. And he actually also stopped throwing the ball in the dirt first base, which was nice. I don't think he'll do that again this year. I'm sure they'll work a lot with his footwork trying to make sure that was a one-season anomaly. But I, th- I think it's important that Baez is a three-and-a-half to four-war player and it's a career 260 hitter, and I'll be shocked if he doesn't hit 260 and hit 25 bombs this year. Well, Mark, I, I also think, too, though, the WBC playing the World Baseball Classic could help energize him, too. A.J. Hinge went down to Puerto Rico this offseason and got the, the Javi Baez farm tour and the Javi Baez restaurant tour and got a chance to hang out with him and spend some time with him and I think I think Javier Baez is going to be more comfortable in Detroit this year. Um, obviously, winning you know solves all of that, right? But I think just generally, he's going to be more comfortable. He's looked more comfortable in spring training, more like you know he feels like he belongs. It almost seems like, at least from my opinion, and and I think that's a positive sign looking forward. Is just that he's comfortable. He knows he's here. He knows he's going to be here, and um, he knows he's got to produce if, if the Tigers want to win. He knows it. I think. Also, he has an opt-out in his contract, and there's a lot of incentive for him to play well. And play Tigers really well. Are, yeah, the Tigers are not going to be very good if Javi Baez is not very good. So let's move to third base because it's kind of interesting. They let Heimer Candelario walk. They didn't want to pay him $5 million. Um, Heimer was very poor last year. He was a negative war player, which is really difficult to do. It means you have to be not only super bad offensively, you have to be super mediocre or worse defensively. Nick Maton's been getting most of the time, but they got some other platoon ideas going on there. Talk to us about what you're seeing at third base. 
he looks really comfortable at third base. He's a guy who's always been an up the middle kind of dude, you know, second base, shortstop. That's kind of his bread and butter. Now he does play, you know, all around and he did some of that with the Phillies, but third base is the position that he has the least experience at. And he looks really comfortable. The Tigers, you know, said right away, we're not afraid to try this. And so far, so good. I, I don't see any problems with him playing third base from a defensive standpoint. Um, but we know a couple things about him in his profile. He crushes right-handed pitchers. He also crushes fastballs. So he brings that lefty bat to the infield that the Tigers feel like they needed. You know, heading into the offseason, they went out and got him in a trade. They got their right-handed hitting outfielder and Matt Veerling also in that same trade from the Phillies for Gregory Soto and Cody Clemens. But we know Maton crushes righties. We know he crushes fastballs. Tigers struggled against fastballs last year. That's going to be a huge help. The biggest question is, is he going to be able to hit left-handed pitchers? And most importantly, is he going to be able to hit breaking balls down in the zone? That's his biggest, that, that's his biggest issue. That's the big thing that he has not been able to do so far in his career. If he's able to do that, he probably becomes an everyday player, and that's a huge win for the Tigers. We'll see if the hitting department can help him develop and, and you know, kind of cover up some of those weaknesses. I think that's going to be a few weeks before we see that. I'll tell you what I've noticed. I did not. Nick Maton is extremely athletic. I had no idea he was this athletic, and I'm pretty sure that he will actually be the backup shortstop while he's playing third base. And he, he played short the other day and came up through the Philly system as a shortstop. And his defensive chops are surprisingly really, really good. So I'm uh, excited to, to see that. I, I noticed uh, that Tyler Nevins hit a couple bombs here early in spring training. And I think the plan for them, best case scenario, is he'll be a platoon player at, at third and first and show some power. So far, so good. I think that's still a work in progress. But that probably right now, as of uh, you know March 5th, seems like what the plan would be. Hernandez and Nevin two primary bench players with one of the catcher being the third one and then an outfielder. So, but uh, so far, Tyler Nevins stung the ball pretty well. Give us a thought on Tyler. Let's not forget about Andy Abanez now, Mark. Uh, Andy Abanez. Let's let's not forget about Andy Abanez. He's playing in the WBC. So we got to wait for your boy Andy to come back and insert himself into the competition. But, but I know, but, but look, look, here's the deal though, is both those guys, Andy Abanez and Tyler Nevin, they're both getting reps at third base and first base. That's something that, you know, they were doing. I know Andy's gone to go play for Team Cuba in the WBC, and, and Nevin's going to be here, so he's going to get a ton of reps. That'll be really good for him in his pursuit of a job on the opening day roster. But it really does seem like this is kind of an Ibanez-Nevin battle at this point. I don't think Ryan Kreidler is truly in that mix just because of where the bat is at right now. I, I think you got to see a little bit more in AAA again to, to really feel comfortable calling him up and having him be um, a real piece of your infield as a right-handed hitter, but it's kind of those three are the right-handed hitters who are um, considered to be in the mix to platoon with Maton at third. And I think it's a Banez or it's Nevin. They both do. They both do some positive things. They both do some things that cause you to kind of scratch your head. I really like Banez's contact skills. I, I like Nevin's power. I like his ability to hit some home runs and, and, you know, impact the baseball a little bit. But those are also, I mean, it's two guys where they, they fit in a platoon type situation. I don't think those are everyday players. If you were to tell me, okay, you have Nick Maton, you have Andy Abanez, and you have Tyler Nevin, Nick Maton by far is the, the most likely to become an everyday type of player. But I think that's why this works right now. And I think that's why, you know, they're going to have to platoon. And then 
you know, see what they have in, in Maytown and maybe he can be an everyday guy. But I, I've seen good things out of both Ibanez and Nevin. All right. So I want to cover the outfield, but first I want to take a break. We'll be back in one minute. Okay, uh, let's touch on the outfield. The outfield is pretty interesting, seen some good things. Obviously, you have, let's start off with uh, Matt Veerling. He's off to a good start. Looks like they want him to be a regular. He's going to have to play himself out of being a regular, it looks like. So give me your impression so far. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about Matt Veerling playing the infield. I don't know how realistic that actually is at the end of the day. I think in a perfect world, he is he is your everyday right fielder, in, in my opinion. That's that's kind of how I view him, and that's where I think he fits best, either one of the corners, right or left. But, but yeah, he seems like uh, one of the guys who's pretty much a lock to, to make the opening day roster. He's a guy that Scott Harris went out and got in that Phillies deal with Nick Maton, and there's no reason why you don't have him on the team. He does, he, again, he's another guy who does a lot of the little things that you like. We'll see if he's able to draw some more walks, but just in terms of putting the ball in play, making contact, limiting strikeouts, those are all very encouraging. So far, so good in that sense. Now, again, if, if he's going to be a, you know, obviously he's a right-handed hitter, so if he's going to be playing out there and they want to find that platoon option, this probably becomes a more interesting debate. Is the Kerry Carpenter, Akil Badu, or, or maybe even Parker Meadows? I think that's kind of the most interesting outfield debate you know, right now. Um, I think we know that, that Veerling is a lock. We know that Riley Green is a lock, and we know that Austin Meadows is a lock, but Who's going to be that other outfielder that's in the mix, Mark? It's an interesting question. It's it's something that is not going to get sorted out for the next three weeks, and there's going to be guys getting lots of opportunities. I think what's really interesting is I don't think they planned on Parker Meadows inserting himself into this competition at this point or this early, but he's shown pretty, pretty strongly. Uh, I'm sure they'll keep giving him opportunities. He's really shown a lot defensively, enough that they would actually have to consider moving Riley to left if that happened, and that would obviously mean that Austin Meadows would probably have to start DHing a lot and creates a whole other issue because I don't think Miguel's going to be too happy if he's not playing. And Miguel's actually scorched two balls here early, which he's done for the last few springs and then gone on to hit fewer than 10 homers in both those last few years when he's done that. So I don't get too excited, but it is nice to see. Um, but it creates some unusual circumstances. I noticed that Badu has played very little the last three or four days. And, you know, Kerry Carpenter is very tantalizing. He's the type of player that you wouldn't expect him to get 500 at-bats, but he might get 350 to 400 using them the right way and he could be super productive in those 350 to 400 at-bats. He could be a 20-homer guy, you know, really over an 800 OPS type type of situation. And you need, you need hitting in the major leagues to win. And it's been a while since Detroit had much of an offensive, you know, a productive offensive lineup. Kerry Carpenter is going to have to hit his way into the lineup. Defensively, not very good. I have somebody whispering in my ear almost every day about how terrible his throwing arm is. And, uh, you know, he does catch the ball okay, but he's going to have to hit his way into the lineup. 
So tell me, tell me what you're seeing. You, you see these guys playing every day. Yeah, the defense isn't great. The throwing arm um, has been problematic through camp early on. Um, but again, it's hard without those DH spots being open, knowing that you know Miguel Cabrera is clogging that up. It's hard to get him at bats without playing him in the outfield. I think that's why when you mentioned the first base thing and you brought that up to me, I said, hey, that's, that's actually kind of an interesting idea um, just to find a way to get his bat in the lineup a little bit more and see what you have. But I also don't think that Akil Badu is that much better defensively. I don't, I don't think that there is a great separation between them um, when it comes to defense. So I think for I think it really comes down to, to two things. It, it comes down to is Kerry Carpenter going to hit and hit for power? And is Akil Badu going to draw walks and steal bases? And, and I think and, and hit, of course, he's going to need to hit. But, you know, can he work? A, can he work a walk? Can he work a walk? Because he's not going to hit for power. He's not that kind of player. I think he realized that last season is that he's not a power hitter. He's not someone that's going to go out and hit 20 homers in a season. Maybe that potential is in there somewhere. But I don't think that's really what makes Akil Badu great. What makes Akil Badu great is getting on bases, stealing bags, and disrupting um, the opposing pitcher and the opposing defense. My favorite word for Akil Badu is he brings the chaos in he a does. good way. In a good he does. way. He does. I'll, t- I'll tell you what I found interesting. And if you're a fan of watching the subtle little things that A.J. Hinch does, yesterday Tigers faced Garrett Cole in a night game. And Parker Meadows was in the lineup. Kerry Carpenter was in the lineup. You know, he's looking to see how guys like this facing, you know, quality major league pitching, he needs to give them exposure, see what the at-bats look like, see what the approach looks like. Are they able to put the ball in in play? Are they able to hit the ball hard? In Parker Meadows' case, he wanted to just – given the exposure to what it really looks like because I tell you what, they don't have anybody who looks like Garrett Coleman double A, that's for sure. So, you know, the outfield is still a work in progress. Look, the Tigers won, you know, I think 65 games last year. So, you know, there's not a lot of set lineup spots and guys are going to have an opportunity to get their earned playing time. And if you can show something, then you're going to continue to get more at-bats. On that topic, we, we've left out one of the most interesting parts of spring training. I don't think he has a chance to break with the squad, but let's let's talk for two minutes about Cole Keith because, holy smokes, I mean, how can you not talk about Cole Keith? <laughs> Every time he walks in there, it seems like he's hitting a laser beam somewhere. So, you know, talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, his first day at camp, he almost took off Alan Trammell's head with a liner back up the middle and uh, in batting practice. I mean, the, the guy hits the ball hard. He hits the ball really hard, and he's he's a fascinating dude. He's pretty quiet. Like, he doesn't really say a whole lot. I think he's kind of – he's sure of himself in that way, right? He, I don't think he really needs to be super vocal. I think he knows exactly what he wants to do and, and wants to go out and, and do it. I remember talking to him out in the fall league, and – um, we sat down out by the out by the left field foul pole watching the the Arizona Fall League home run derby, and he just got talking about who he is, what he's all about, what he believes in, why he plays the way that he plays, why he thinks the way that he thinks, and I just find him to be a really fascinating player in the sense of, you know, this guy's going to say that he's going to do things, and then he's going to go out and do them. That was his big his big tagline. That was the big thing that he talked about. He, he kind of compared it to like Conor McGregor will often call his shots before a fight and say what he's going to do. And then, then there's pressure to go out and actually do it. 
And, and for Cole, it was like, you know, after his first year in pro ball, he, he wanted to hit a little bit better. So he, you know, he made that a priority and then went and hit better. He wanted to hit for more power. So then he went and, you know, changed everything about his body. And he talked to, you know, coaches and, and other players and, um, you know, both pros and amateurs and, and everybody about how do you take care of your body? How do you eat right? Like, what's your workout routine like? So he, he takes care of that. And then this offseason, he realizes that he needs to be a better third baseman. And so he goes and he takes a, a, a trillion ground balls, it, it seemed like, with all the updates that he was sharing about that. He, he kind of kept the tally throughout the throughout the offseason of how many he took at third base. And so just an uber determined guy and over the top determined and also has some swag to him. Like I, oh, I really man. like that. I, I know, I know you like it too. He's got swag to him. He knows what he wants and he has what he calls a winner's mentality. That's kind of from Connor McGregor and his game has been compared to Joey Votto. So I think obviously I don't want to, you know, say too much too soon because the guy hasn't played above, you know, high West Michigan, but seems like a lot of good things. Yeah. Part, part Connor McGregor, part Joey Votto. I can't think of, uh, Anything more I would like in, in a ball player. Tigers, not bad, need, is it? Tigers need some swag. They need some swag bad. I'm excited to see how Cole Keith does. I, I'm hoping he can be competent enough defensively to play some third base. You and I have talked about this. I get the sneaky feeling he ends up playing right field. There's some aspects to his game in a good way that remind me a little bit of Nicholas Castellanos. He's a far more disciplined hitter than Nick was. But listen, Nick Nicholas Castellanos can rake. And don't ever say that Nick Castellanos couldn't rake because he could. His his mom will probably hook you know, find me on Twitter and berate me if I ever said Nick didn't uh didn't rake. Nick rakes, but Nick Nick has never been a good defensive player. Years ago, Brandon Day and I were begging them to make him a first baseman before they let him go for free. And that probably would have been a good idea, by the way. Um, I think Cole Keith would be a much better right fielder than Nicholas Castellanos is. His arm is far, far better than Nick's was. I used to, I, I would eat lunch with Lynn Henning, and Lynn would, would like to tell me about Nicholas Castellanos' arm. And I would just let Lynn tell me for a few minutes, and then I would just look at him and go, you know, Lynn? I love eating lunch with you, but Nicholas Castellanos has a terrible throwing arm. And that's, 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 that's proved to be true. Um, I could see the move to outfield for Keith, though. I mean, it just makes sense. It, it makes sense considering the fact that, um, you know, he's not super agile in terms of the mobility. It's not really he, great. He's, and he's, also, also he's, he's built like a brick. Like, he, he, he's he is built like a But he's not slow, and he's no. not unathletic either. So... I think he would be probably a, a decent right fielder. I don't think they're going to do that this spring, but I think that it wouldn't shock me if in the minor leagues this year, if he got a few innings in uh, in right field, and especially if Isaac Pacheco is going to hit, I, I'll be shocked if he's not eventually the third baseman. And the thing he, that matters, though, Mark, with Cole Keith is that if he's hitting, it doesn't matter where he plays correct. Um, at, at all. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter. If he hits the way that he has the potential to hit, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. He he has not had an at-bat before the sixth inning yet, but I think with guys leaving for the WBC and the way he's stroking the baseball this week, you're going to – I wouldn't be shocked even if he got a start even if it was at DH or you know, at third. But I, I think he's going to get some more 
at-bats against real major league pitching this week just to kind of measure where he's at. Plus, he needs to see some off-speed pitches from some major, major league pitchers for his own development. So that, that should be pretty interesting. He's been as advertised. It's exciting. He's obviously not breaking camp with the team, but, you know, off to a good start. I want to discuss something with you that in the last couple of days has really come to the forefront. You wrote an article about it, and that's PitchCom. And it's really something people are not paying close enough attention to, but there's a lot of history with catchers, you know, calling the baseball game for pitchers. I mean, it's 100-plus years of this of doing this, and you've been in the locker room for a few years now, and you know how hard catchers study tendencies and and various things to allow them to do a good job calling a baseball game. It's something A.J. Hinch and holds very near and dear to his heart, being an ex-catcher. And if people don't know, Chris Fetter is you know, almost famous in Major League Baseball for what a great job he does at imparting tendencies and sequencing hitters. It's, it's a huge advantage for the Detroit Tigers how good Chris Fetter is in that aspect of the game. And now all of a sudden... We have electronics on pitchers' belts, and pitchers want to start calling their own games. And I, I think it's going to be a very interesting evolution to how this works out because some pitchers have no business having any input whatsoever into calling their game, and others, it's probably not a bad thing. So to talk, talk to me a little bit about what you found out. I know AJ has a pretty solid opinion about it. Yeah, no, I mean, watch, watching the Tigers game against the Phillies, Eduardo Rodriguez just starts pressing buttons on his hip. And it's like, all right, here we go. He's going to call his own pitches. And, you know, he went and he he pitched three scoreless innings against the Phillies with no walks and and three strikeouts and called the entire game by himself. He had catcher Donnie Sands, um, a younger catcher who's new to the organization and has never caught him before behind the plate. And in talking to to Donnie, Donnie actually said it was probably good for me just the first time catching him, but moving forward, like it would be nice if the catchers had the first opinion. And then if the pitcher really wanted to veto, then they can just hit their button. And then we just skip, you know, the whole, you know, shake your head, shake your head, shake your head. We don't have to worry about that anymore. It can just be, I'll give you my opinion. If you really hate it and you really need to throw something else, just hit your buttons. We don't have to worry about shaking to that point. And that's where we'll get into some of what this means when it comes to the pitch clock, because we saw Matt Boyd do that. Um, We saw Michael Lorenzen do that. I mean, guys are doing that um, to just to kind of make the game move quicker and and kind of speed up the tempo a little bit more, um, as opposed to taking complete control. Whereas with Eduardo Rodriguez, he took control of of the entire game plan. Um, he called all th- thirty three of his pitches: sixteen four seamers, six cutters, five changeups, three sinkers, three sliders. Struck out Trey Turner twice. Had six swings and misses. And yeah, it was all fastballs in the first inning, literally all fastballs. Um, I, I think some of us in the press box were joking around that the pitch com might have been broken um, because it was just fastball, 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 fastball um, over and over and over again. And then he goes to the slider and it's just sliders, you know, one after the next in the second inning. And then it's just all change ups in the third inning. He mixed a little bit in, in the second and third. But for the most part, it was fastball, then slider, then change up. He was clearly amped up about it, and that's what I think was really interesting. Um, his his fastball velo averaged ninety three point one, and that is significantly higher than last year's average. That's like almost 
you know, peak Eduardo Rodriguez in 2019 version of him. The fastball was just, Donnie Sands said, look, they were late. They were late on his fastball, so we just kept throwing it. And by we, he means Eduardo. Um, so, yeah, that was really fascinating to see because I, I've never seen anything like that before in person with a pitcher calling their own pitches. Eduardo said he was expi- he was inspired by Max Scherzer, who's been doing it, and then Luis Severino, um, who did it against the Tigers a couple nights ago. And so he said, why not? Like, I, I'll give it a try. And he ended up loving it. He said he loves calling the shots. He loves the results that he had. He said, you know, it worked really well. So, so, so why not keep doing it? Why not keep doing it? And um, yeah, on Saturday morning, which was the day after the, the game, Tigers manager, AJ Hinch, he had a meeting with the pitchers and catchers. And it sounds like, um, you know, Rodriguez won't be calling his pitches anymore. <laughs> so I, I it, it, I'm not shocked by that. I, Me it's neither. Just, it's just foreign to everything about how AJ Hinch thinks about the game. Look, Mark, I, look, Mark, I get it. I get it when you're, in a spring, I get it. It makes sense for spring training to be completely honest because you know what you want to work on and you understand exactly what you're trying to do. Um, and also, I kind of understand too when you're working with a catcher for the first time just to call your own pitches, and that way they can almost learn you and learn what your stuff does. It kind of makes sense to me in that sense. But also, like during the regular season, there's no way you can't throw. I think it was 13 fastballs in the first inning. You he threw 13 pitches, and all of them were fastballs. Like you can't do that. And I don't think he, and I but that's the other thing too, is I don't think Eduardo Rodriguez would do that. I think he would mix his pitches in the season. I think he understands that. But also, you know, there's advanced scouting for a reason. There's a lot that goes into these game plannings. And that was the big point that, that AJ Hinch made was it, it's not all about what the catcher thinks, or it's not all about what the pitcher thinks. It's a, it's a, it's a collaborative effort, if you will. There's a lot of people, like you mentioned, not only AJ, but you know, Chris Fetter, the catchers, the pitchers, the advanced scouts, and more people that I probably you know don't even recognize have a role in that. It, it's, it, it's much deeper than one man doing the job. Well, it brings up a couple of topics, which is, first of all, again, what goes on in spring training has very little to do with how they play baseball during the regular season and never fails to amaze me that by about the fourth game of the regular season, you start saying to yourself, yeah, this looks nothing like anything that I watched the last five weeks. So, I mean, it's it's a totally different level of difficulty and sophistication once the regular season starts. It's A. B, interesting to remind people, Eduardo Rodriguez won 19 games and threw 205 innings. Uh, not, you know, I think in 2019, he also had, a, I think it was fifth in the, in the Cy Young ranking that year. Sixth. So, sixth. So, he's pretty damn, he could be pretty damn good. So I think people did not really get a chance to see the real Eduardo last year. And yeah, he has a chance to probably, you know, he's going to raise his game quite a bit. There's a good chance he opts out after this year. There's a good chance the Tigers might actually entertain uh, some trade offers for him, you know, during, (laughs) you know, before the trade deadline, especially if he's throwing well and he would, probably bring back quite a bit by the way without, without so, a doubt and, and no i mean not not to not to jump all over you there but i think most definitely i think if, if he's a guy that if he's pitching well um the tigers almost have no choice but to move him considering um you know how much he's getting paid considering what the market was for starting pitchers this offseason you just have to assume he's going to opt out of his opt out of his deal but i also think that's a kind of an incentive for him to pitch well too and 
that's kind of what he talked about with the pitch com. He, he didn't really say that, but I think kind of under the hood, he was he was talking about that just in terms of he knows himself better than anybody else. He wants it to be all on him. If if, if a if an opposing hitter hits a home run, he doesn't want anybody to look at the catcher. He wants people to look at at him um, and and ask him, hey, why'd you give that home run? Because he was the one that was calling the pitches. Um, I think all of that's a double-edged sword, to be completely honest. I think it's maybe just his way of saying, um, you know, I, I know what to do better than the catch. I don't know if that really rubs that catcher group the right way. Um, I, I don't think so, at least. But, yeah, he's going to be one that's that's going to be big for the Tigers this year, but also also pretty big for himself. He's going to need to step up if he wants to get paid in the offseason, assuming he opts out. Yeah, let, let's, let's quickly touch on pitching. I think we'll go really in-depth about it next week, but – Spencer Turnbull started, got his first start post-TJ today, looked pretty dynamic in the first. Little more, you know, not quite as good in the second, but not bad. Tell me what you saw. Slider looks really good um, very early, and then he lost the feel for it after, um, after his first strikeout, which he used the slider on. But it was good to see a really good slider, and then obviously that's something that he can work on. Um, next time out the, the spin is obviously the last thing to come back when someone's coming back from Tommy John surgery so um, but according to the Tigers they've really liked his metrics and his bullpens and and things like that so those are all, all positive signs the fastball had a ton of life um, he was able to drop in almost all of his pitches he didn't throw any curveballs um, but 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 he looked smooth out there he looked good the fastball had life which was the big thing that you wanted to see um, you know Velo was solid Looked really composed out there. Looked like he was in control, um, despite obviously it, it was a really emotional uh, day for him to be able to get back on the mound and pitch in a live game. That was something that he hasn't done since June 2021. And people forget. People people forget too. I mean, he had a 288 ERA, 12 walks, 44 strikeouts, and 50 innings back in 2021. Also had that no hitter. Let's not forget about that. Um, that's a pretty big deal. And. Yeah, then he undergoes elbow surgery in, in July of 2021 and you know hasn't pitched in the big leagues since then. He could be really good for them. He could be really, really good for them. These are two or three starters. All right, I want to – Tigers made a signing today. I, uh, I want to take our last break, and we'll be back in 60. All right, uh, Tigers made a signing today. They signed somebody that, who once upon a time threw 100 and was pretty dynamic. Uh, it's been quite a long time since something didn't break when he threw the baseball, but they, they, they signed a reliever today. Tell us about it. Yeah, go to uh, Baseball Savant and just go look up Trevor Rosenthal, and you'll see his numbers from 2020. And I mean, the percentile rankings are just off the charts. If he can get back to what he was in, in 2020, you have a closer right here. Just, just you know, that, that's, that's the truth of it. He was a guy who absolutely dominated back in 2020 for the Royals and for the Padres, the former all-star. He had 11 saves that year. That was the shortened season um, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But yeah, he's had a ton of surgeries recently. He's been banged up quite a bit. Also has had Tommy John, you know, back in 2017. So yeah, there's just a lot of injuries and, and who knows what he's going to look like coming back into camp. He hasn't pitched in the big league since 2020, but a really fascinating arm. Um, someone that the Tigers were in contact with um, from what I had been hearing, um, at least back into January, talks kind of picked up over the last couple of weeks. They led to an agreement. Um, not sure exactly what the details of, of that deal are. 
But look, the, the, the point is, is he's somebody that's going to come in here and he's going to compete for a job. You don't sign a guy like Trevor Rosenthal for him not to compete. There are some other arms in that bullpen that are fascinating, that are, are, are veteran guys or injury bounce back guys. Two that jump out to me, Matt Whistler and Trey Wingenter. To me, he kind of profiles a lot like Trey Wingenter. Um, and also, if you want to just tell him to throw sliders, well, then you know that's kind of what Matt Whistler is supposed to do. So we'll see how that you know group of three, those are all you know non-roster guys in camp. We'll see how that shakes out. There's no way all three of them make the team. I think that group is almost a competition in and of itself. It's going to be fun to watch as camp unfolds. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they slow walk Rosenthal if they, you know, he might not even... Yeah, he, he may start at Toledo, and it, they could give him three, four, eight, ten, twelve games in Toledo just to try to see if he's healthy and let him get some rhythm. It's a lottery ticket. It's an interesting lottery ticket. Uh, I've been pretty impressed with the different bullpen arms they have down there. I, I didn't think they would really, you know, miss Jimenez and Soto, especially as good as Joe was last year, but. And I, I don't really at this point think they will. There, there's a lot of guys. They got a lot of one inning guys down there that should probably be able to do a pretty good job. Hinch and Fetter have always been really good at that. And I don't expect that to be, I expect it to be a strength of the team again. I think uh, those things will all work themselves out during the course of spring. And, you know, there'll probably be four or five guys that come up from Toledo during the course of the season in the bullpen. I'm, I'm not too worried. Tell, tell me a little bit, just from a humorous standpoint, have you ever seen a two-inning span where 27 hitters came to the plate in uh, two innings in a game? That was bad. That was bad. And they still got the game in pretty quick. I, that, again, that's pitch clock for you. Um, that, was, that was an absolutely atrocious um, – that was, that was absolutely atrocious, that fourth and, and fifth inning. It was as bad as it could be. I don't think you see that anywhere but spring training. But uh, I think Dickerson was funny because he said he had never seen any game ever where a pitcher faced six guys and got no outs, got pulled. Next pitcher came in, faced six more, got no outs, got pulled. I've never seen anything like it. And somehow the game gets in in three hours and one minute. I thought that was kind of more fascinating than anything else. Again, I don't put too much stock in what happens in spring training, especially situations like those, I just kind of thought it was interesting that um, the game actually didn't end up being terribly long, even though for those two innings, it felt like an eternity. It, it was, it, listen, I've been watching for 60 years. I've never seen anything like that before. Literally never anything ever in, in, a, in a major league of game, minor league. I've never seen that before. I also want to give a shout out. I don't know. I know you guys sometimes listen to the game on the radio when you're, you know, watching the game from time to time. And uh, Tiger Sand, a new uh, analyst debut with Dickerson today. His name's Bobby Scales, played college baseball in Michigan. And I got to tell you, I had very little expectation. And I'm usually pretty hard on what I'm listening to. I mean, yes, there's only one Dan Dickerson and pretty much the best in the business. But Bobby Scales was really, really good today. He says, he, he gets the inside aspects of baseball. He communicated them well, communicate a lot of things that normally aren't discussed about how players are coached. He, he was a, you know, a player that, you know, he brought his insights of both his coaching background and his playing background. And 
kudos to uh, to them for hiring him. I mean, it was an out-of-the-box hire, but after listening to him today, he's going to do 40 games on the radio, mostly on the road. He was really good. So tip of the hat to him, and welcome to uh, welcome to the Detroit Tigers world of fandom, Bobby Scales. So, all right, we're, we're getting near the end here. I, I want to, you know, say that they haven't really started playing backfield games. I know you've had a chance to talk to a few prospects. When do you think we'll start seeing – some things, whether it's Jackson Joe, Jace, Jace Young, Christian Santana, Roberto Campos, all kinds of guys that have not appeared yet in the big league field. When do you think we're going to start seeing some stuff in the backfield? So? Well, go check out Freep.com, and you're going to go see Jeff Seidel's stories. He's been back there talking to a ton of different guys. He talked to, as they call themselves, the three amigos. Um, it's, it's Jace Young. It's Isaac Pacheco. And it's Peyton Graham. The three of them are are some up and coming um, young players with the Tigers, and and they've been filtered in, and they're they're kind of in camp now. And it's just a lot of different people reporting at different dates. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of when certain players are going to be there and when games are starting. But but folks are starting to filter in, and there there's guys in camp, and we saw that even even a few weeks ago. And it's just kind of more and more are showing up now, and some of them are, some of them are even getting action in in the big league games. So. That's fun to see, and, and it's good to see those guys. So I know Jeff is going to do a ton of that stuff, though. So keep an eye out for what he's working on. All right, two things. One, you're going to see more of them because the WBC starts this week. Okay, so guys are going to be leaving. Uh, Cabrera, Baez, Scope's gone already. So, you know, they're going to have room and a need for players. Two, just want to remind you, this being a free press podcast, if you're not subscribing to uh, the Detroit Free Press you're, you're kind of missing when I, I always laugh when I see people complaining that some of these articles are insider articles. It's $12 a year to subscribe to the free press. There's absolutely no reason why you do not subscribe for a year to the Detroit free press for $12. It's, it's one and a half trips to McDonald's. I mean, you, you love baseball. You want to read articles. You want to read a big uh, city paper. There's no excuse not to spend 12 bucks. So there's deals go to the website and uh you know if you're having a problem you know drop drop ever i align we'll try to walk you through it but you know 12 bucks to read up Petzold's articles about the detroit tigers what a steal huh i second that it's about <laughs> as good as it gets all right we're gonna just so everybody knows we're gonna try to drop these pods on mondays and we're excited to do it I'll try to still stay, stay my same self on Twitter. You'll get the unvarnished Mark Gorosh opinion of what's going on. Some may like it, some may not. You can find me at M-G-O-R-O-S-H at Sports5176. Ev, what's your Twitter handle? Yeah, it's pretty easy. It's at Evan Petzold, E-V-A-N-P-E-T-Z-O-L-D. All right, people, it's been a blast. It's the first one. It's over. We both love baseball. We're going to love doing this, and we'll see you next week. Peace.